to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody. This is Adrian Garland, and welcome to Sugar Coated. I am beyond thrilled today to introduce my guest to you. Her name is Antonia Hawk, and I came across Antonia as I was reading an incredible article that she penned for Sway uh, that talked all about women who do not support women. And this really captivated my attention because I have had the experience of being in a room and being in a career where not all women were very supportive of each other. So when I read this article that was so thoughtful and so well put together, I just had to reach out. So welcome, Antonia, to Sugar Coated. Thank you, Adrian. It's such a pleasure to be here. And uh, when you reached out to me, this was and and I and I heard the name of your podcast, Sugar Coated. <laughs> I knew instantly I was um, I was excited to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. Of course. So you are the global head of the Ritz Carlton Leadership Center. And, you know, after that article, I, I sort of did a little bit of uh, diving into some of the other things that you do. And I'm just really inspired by you because you have a focus on leadership, on women, and on health and wellness. Can you just talk a little bit about how you got to where you are? Because it's an incredible position. Um, and I'd also like to really understand, you know, what type of impact you're looking to make in the the position that you're in right now? Well, I think I can take that from a lot of different directions. And, and, uh, and maybe, maybe to start with, I'll just talk a little bit about my career. So I knew pretty early on that I love building things. I love transforming things. I uh, have always, since the time I was a very small child, loved net new experiences. And so mm. when I look at my career and I look at the choices that I've made uh, since coming out of college, they've all been centered around having incredible experiences. So mm. what what can I do where I'll build something new? And so I started out in the dot-com era where I got to build lots of interesting departments, be part of a major dot-com that went public. And, you know, I moved from there into some really big uh, tech companies where I was doing service transformation work, building business units. Uh, and then ultimately, four years ago, ended up at Marriott and the Ritz-Carlton with this great opportunity to come and build a business that's really centered around employee experience, customer experience, and, and doing that work for the Fortune 500. So if I had to string all of those things together, they'd be defined. And, and the way I really define myself is an experience collector. We spend a lot mm -hmm. of time doing the work we do and 
you better love the experience. And if work every day isn't kind of joyful and you don't love it, even on an 18 hour day, you're probably doing the wrong thing. So hmm. uh, that's really my, my philosophy about my career. And in this particular role, the team I lead, we, we feel so strongly that the work we do really impacts lives globally for major companies. And that's a great mission and a great way to, to think about our work every day. So it really inspires us to be as the, the, the best we could possibly be together. I love that. And as part of the leadership center, is, that is that is specifically for employees or is is that for like you're talking about corporations as well? I'm just I'm just curious. I'm a, you know, I'm a business person and I'm like, "Wait a minute. You know, do people come to the Ritz-Carlton and and look for leadership guidance? It's it would be something that I hadn't heard of before." You're you're Spot on. So the Ritz-Carlton mm. Hotel Company and is, is really known for great culture, great employee engagement, great employee experience, and also this entire kind of culture of surprise and delight, customer experience, guest experience. And so four or five years ago, we really accelerated that work to take it externally and wow. sell it to other companies, predominantly Fortune 500 and upper middle market. But we have pretty big consulting practice in wealth management, in sports and entertainment, healthcare, retail, auto. So industries where that hospitality mindset and our best practices can really be applied uh, in some of those key areas. I love that. And I'm I'm so happy to hear that. Um, why not learn from the best, right? I just have to say that I absolutely love Ritz-Carlton properties. Uh, I used to do some work for a company that where they exclusively used Ritz-Carlton proper, uh, properties to hold their events. And I had the privilege of staying in several. And I just am always blown away. So you're lucky <laughs> it's to work for, oh my gosh, yeah. It's, you know what, it, uh, what I love most about Ritz Carlton, and, and thank you for, for, for being a fan. It's great to hear, and it's great to hear your great experiences. At the end of the day, our ladies and gentlemen uh, who light those things up on property, there's lots of hotels with beautiful real estate. They have beautiful rooms, they have great uh, food and beverage, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people and yeah. being able to support individuals, empower them, and encourage them to use their own special gifts to make something memorable and wonderful for guests, I feel is such an incredible gift. So I'm glad you've had a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> and and hopefully when, you know, everything, uh, when everybody gets a vaccine and everybody feels comfortable and everything, I'll be staying at a Ritz-Carlton soon. <laughs> Excellent. Hope. We, all, we yes. all look forward to that as we as yes, this vaccine the day. world starts to roll. Yes. Oh, gosh. It has been very tough. So I actually want to pivot a little bit and talk about the article that you wrote for Sway. Clearly, you are in a leadership position. You also teach leadership and it's something that I am super passionate about just through She Leads in general. I too, you know, I, I came out of the corporate world. I'm an entrepreneur now. But leadership is something that I feel like is a really critical skill for women. And I also think that leadership in general and what we think of when we think of a leader, it has 
greatly transformed. And I think most especially so with our, you know, VP elect Kamala. But there, the experience that you wrote about, the reason that I was so drawn to it is because I too had, I would say, negative experiences with women who were in leadership positions that I looked to for guidance, but rather they sort of held me back, held me down, made me feel ashamed of certain things. Um, Can you just talk a little bit uh, without obviously giving specific examples, but, you know, I'm stumbling because it it hurts me (laughs) that, you know, (laughs) that there's so much talk these days about women, women supporting other women. And and it's definitely true. There are plenty of incredible women that support other women. But there also is sort of the underbelly of that where there's a woman who's in power and she wants to stay there. And she, you know, sees others as threats. Can you talk a little bit just about your experiences and what prompted you to write that article? So, you know, I think what's interesting to me about this topic and, and why I thought long and hard before I wrote the, the, the article and what really inspired me to do it is that the conversation isn't happening and I think it needs to. And yeah. I, as, as women, I mean, I think your discomfort is natural. It's the same as mine. We have these experiences, but for whatever reason, we've all by and large elected to stay quiet. I don't know if it feels like in some way we're being disloyal to fellow women by, by in some measure, outing them for their behavior. Mm-hmm. I haven't quite figured out the psychology of it, but I felt like it's a t- topic I'm passionate about. And I think anytime you're passionate about something, you need to find a professional and thoughtful way to give it a voice. And mm. uh, for me, uh, over, over my career, I was consistently disappointed in what I saw as very much a public persona from a lot of female leaders that, that I experienced. And they were very pro-female empowerment and really you know, being in the corner of, of other women and helping them figure out how to advance their careers and manage you know, to, to excel on special projects, all of these things. But then the door closes on the boardroom and you're sitting in there with them and the view is completely different. Um, my philosophy is really that you know, kind of that hypocrisy, anywhere you find it, is is something that needs to be talked about and discussed. And so my experience has been, I wish it wasn't a single company. I wish it wasn't a single instance, but you know, I can't think of a single role I've held over my career where I didn't encounter this at some point. So I feel like it's worth having the conversation. And my experience has been everything from, you know, C-level female executives who would you know, makes the offhand comment in the kitchen, like, you probably don't want to wear that dress to work again. It's just too disgusting for everyone, right? And you're getting your morning coffee and you're like, what just happened here? Like, that's yeah. not, if, if that same comment had been said by a man, that would be a completely different kind of conversation. I feel like we'd be having in corporate America around that comment. But yeah. as a woman with another woman, it's like we look the other way and we just shrug it off. Like it's mean girls from high school. And we've all learned how to navigate mean girls from high school. So in corporate America, we'll just look the other way and and move on. 
And those kinds of experiences have just, they've happened over and over for me. They've happened over and over for me as well. And I think comments like this specific example that you just gave, perhaps were well-intentioned, you know, coming from a place of like, and, you know, I'm I'm projecting I wasn't in that situation at all. But, you know, maybe it's like, look, I, I really admire you and I don't want anything distracting from your brilliance. It could, mm-hmm. you know, it could have come from a good place. On the other end, it could be, you know, don't draw too much attention to yourself, girl, because I'm Queen B. And I, you know, I think we don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's so interesting to me because I, I obviously think about all those angles when a conver- when, you know, a conversation like that comes up, I think it's natural to sit there and think about, okay, like you want to ins- assume positive intent, I think in general with, with yeah. people I do anyway. Um, but my litmus test is usually would, would that individual say that to a man? Right. <laughs> would would she walk into the, you know, this this example, right? Would she walk into the kitchen, see a man making coffee and say to him, I don't think you should wear that shirt to work because it's too distracting. Yeah. I'd no. be willing to bet like that no matter the positive intent, the number of times that's occurred or is zero. Is zero. And so that's my <laughs> that's my that's my litmus test. Right. For for how, you know, how appropriate is it, even if you meant it in a positive way, is it a gender specific comment? Um, Because that's something I think we're all focused on learning how to ensure we're providing feedback in a way that is not gender specific. So in a, in a situation like that, uh, and, and again, I have experienced that, you know, almost exact scenario from early on in my career when I was young to even now. And it it comes in so many different forms. Sometimes I feel naive that I do think that, you know, women, especially these days, you know, are supporting other women as, you know, the the person on the on the receiving end of that. What do you think we can do to maybe just call that out and bring attention to the fact like, you know, thanks for your input, but your comment to me is not helpful. And I just want to let you know why, you know, are there some words, are there some things that we can do to sort of in the moment, bring that to the the hypocrisy to the surface? You know, I, I think it has to come at it. I mean, I think a lot, like a lot of these kinds of issues, I think we have to come at it from a lot of different directions. Um, And I think Mm. one of the reasons I wanted to write on this topic is that I think there has to be some systemic support to provide that feedback. And I think in the absence of it, you know, I think a lot of us could learn how to have a diplomatic response to a scenario like that and find words to I won't say defend ourselves, but maybe have a different kind, move the conversation into a different environment, and then also create that boundary, right, that says this isn't necessarily the kind of feedback I wish to receive in this particular way. But unless Mm -hmm. and until there is um, a broader conversation around this and more corporate support that this isn't the kind of conversation that's appropriate from a female leader, I think a lot of women worry that they run the risk of, I will say, retaliation on some measure. Yeah. 
that it won't get recognized at the corporate HR level, or it won't get recognized in a more systemic way as an inappropriate conversation. And therefore, if they make a comment or they do it without maybe quite the grace they'd like, and that woman is offended that they've now created an environment that will be detrimental to their career or will compound the issue further. So I think we have to have systemic support. I also then think we all have to practice, um, not just turning the other cheek and, you know, going home and maybe venting to our friends, but focusing in on how do we actually move the needle at at work. And it's got to happen from great female leaders at the top and also women being willing to practice it um, every day. And do you think that this is, I mean, in the article, clearly you you say this still is happening. Do you see this continuing to um, happen or do you do you think that it's getting better or, or do you think it will get better the more and more that we see all types of women in leadership positions? I think we have to continue to to practice. Um, and, And I wish I could say I thought it was getting better. But what was interesting to me about the response to my article was the number of private messages I got. Mm-hmm. Women, women who are unwilling to post publicly about their experiences or even to comment publicly to like something or just to even put their put a very neutral comment under the article. The, the number of people that wrote me privately and said, I read it, it's my experience. But I don't feel comfortable at all uh, engaging on this topic. But I'd like to engage you one and one in, in private on this topic, and uh, invite you to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love I, I I love that, and I, and I applaud that. And that's part of the reason I I was so excited to come do this. But what was interesting is is the number of women that wrote to me in that way. It was mm. everything from twenty one year old women who are just entering kind of corporate America all the way to people that are, you know, kind of nearing the end of their careers and getting ready to think Mm. about retirement. It was, it was pervasive and it was across every cohort and every demographic, which again, just, it it really gave me pause. I was like, wow, you know, this is a touchstone topic for that really crosses everybody. Yeah. And I think, I think as women, you know, we do want to sugarcoat this away, right? We want to fly the flag of of women supporting women and anybody that sort of comes out and says, wait a minute, folks, like, let's crack, <laughs> let's crack the coding and look at what's really going on here. I think that, yeah, there is um, the potential for retaliation of some kind or at least shaming, And I have actually felt that, you know, I I produce conferences for women entrepreneurs and leaders. And I I talk to a lot of different women that I ask to be speakers at the conference and things like that. And I have brought this topic up, actually, in private, Um, you know, when people have said to me, oh, you know, women support other women. I love it. And, you know, it's it's great. Everything's changed. And and I would say, well, you know, this one that I asked to, you know, help because I helped her and I asked her to help me and then she didn't and she undermines me and I don't get it. You know, it, it was sort of like I was the the, you know, bad person bringing up like, well, you know, I don't really see anybody stepping up to support me. But when they ask me to support them, they expect it. 
And it's a very strange phenomenon that I actually didn't know was so pervasive. But I I believe in this queen bee syndrome. And I don't know that it's necessarily, um, I don't know what it is, but you know, once once you sort of have that power and you're in that position of power, you don't want to lose it. And if you sort of open the gates to other people coming in, all of a sudden you sort of lose that status. Now, I don't operate by that at all, but I have seen this time and time again and have been on, especially in the corporate world, have been on the other end of it where I, I guess I was seen as some some sort of a threat. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just so disheartening because we're given these messages of speak up, you know, your opinion matters, participate. And then when you do, and then the people that should be smiling and nodding and encouraging you, maybe call you in and tell you that you need to quiet down a little bit. It's awful. I agree. And I think from my point of view, I just try to look at it from a gender neutral position um, when I'm evaluating this kind of behavior. I personally you know, discrimination is something I feel is wrong, no matter where it comes from, who it comes from, in what environment it is uh, offered. It, it's just for, for me, it, I look, I, I have worked very, very hard over my career and in my life to look at the merit that's coming with, with the work ethic, with the point of view, with the contributions, and to think about it through that lens and that lens only. And for some reason, along the way, you know, women having the conversation and holding other women accountable to to that behavior has just not been as focused on. We focus on whether or not men are holding us back or men are you know, changing the dialogue for us in a way we don't like, but we're not willing to apply that same standard to other women. And the whole queen bee concept, I always think about, I think it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. It's like, most people can, can survive adversity, but if you want to see somebody's real character, give them power. Mm. And I think that's where this all really, really comes from. It's what you do with the power you are given. And I, when I find a woman who has great power and she is really committed to empowering other women, other men, whatever it may, whatever in world you come from, those women, uh, yeah, I want to sing their praises and get on their bus and be a part of that. <laughs> you know, I'm ready. I am so ready to, to, to get behind that. And my sincere wish is that we just put the spotlight on that, but we were equally willing to have this conversation when that's not present. And we hold women accountable in the same way we hold men accountable. Um, and that this isn't such a taboo topic. Uh, I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with calling out somebody who is intentionally thwarting, you know, your career or asking you to change who you are to try to toe the line behind their, you know, their tribe or their clique. That's just wrong anywhere you find it. We just have to provide more universal accountability for that behavior. I agree with you 100% on everything that you have just said. And it makes me think of, you know, humanity, 
right? Mm -hmm. And kindness. And if we can operate, if we can bring that, you know, our best selves where we go, whether that means in our job or, you know, out on the street, that's that's sort of the area to focus rather than this whole idea of like power. And I think there's been a lot of um, there's an alignment between leadership and power. But, you know, power is like power over somebody or something versus leadership, which is bringing everybody together around a common goal um, and seeing those people as humans and individuals that can contribute in a variety of different ways. So if we can sort of approach things from that point of view, some of this other stuff I, I would hope would start to go away. And I do, I do see some of the younger people thinking more about bigger Mm -hmm. things than themselves, bigger even than, you know, leadership, power. They're, They're thinking about humanity. They're thinking about the planet. They're thinking, how can they build community? And I just, I'm so inspired by that. I am too. I am too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the the other thing, it's so interesting because I love, I love the psychology behind kind of the, how we approach these things, the concept of, of kindness and custodianship and some of these topics versus the focus on kind of like the eighties power dynamics, right? We used to see so much of, I'm probably dating myself here, but, um, the one thing someone said to me very early in my career, and it's always stuck with me and I use it all the time when I'm meeting a, a leader anywhere in the world. And it's the concept of the power of a pronoun. And I, you can judge a leader, in my view, very, very quickly before whether or not they describe their team as my team. It's my mm. team. These are my people. This is my project. I had a leader one time say, don't ever use that word. You don't own anything. You don't own these people. You don't own this yeah. project. You don't own any of this. The right pronoun you should always use for the rest of your career and the rest of your life is the word our. This is our our team. This is our project. This is our business unit. It's not yours. You don't own it. So don't ever say that again. And when I I meet a leader and all they can say to me is it's my, 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 I know right away that that psychology is something I'm I'm probably going to need to watch as I watch how they move through the world. Yeah. So, and it's interesting because I think it really ties back to this conversation as well. The the whole idea, you know, it's it's Queen Bee, right? It's mine. And yeah. So the so pron- pronouns it's, are powerful. Pronouns are powerful and pronouns matter. And it's also so tricky too, because I think we've been taught that being a leader is being bold, taking, you know, taking ownership and everything. So it's almost like mixed messaging too, because this is a very broad sweeping general statement, but women tend to be more collaborative and, and maybe say things like our instead of mine. And in certain circumstances, that can also be perceived as not being a leader. So I think that leadership is this crazy topic and and 
it almost needs to be redefined. And and I was, you know, I was just thinking about asking you, you know, what do you think are the key aspects of leadership today versus maybe what they had been even, you know, two, three, four years ago? I, I think it, it, is, it is a huge, crazy discipline, no question. And I think what makes leadership very challenging across the board is the nuance. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many, you look at kind of sort of that 360 approach and being you know, a real custodian of others and a supporter of others, but not, and, and of yourself, but not in a way that people read generally as weak or ineffective or slow to act. I mean, there's always a counterpoint to both of those. If I were going to look today kind of at what I think makes a great upcoming leader, you you need somebody who's got a bias for action, but a balance towards thoughtfulness. Somebody mm-hmm. that is collaborative and understands the power of, of bringing people along, but that isn't paralyzing in that you have to drive to full consensus. Mm-hmm. You need people that are in leadership roles. You've kind of got to shed that mindset, I think, of like, the 80s, where it's this whole concept of this very linear leadership career. And in order to move up, you get a progressively larger team, you get a better title, you move to a bigger company. Leadership and the whole concept of it now is so much, in my view, so much more about the evolution of business, innovation, skills around people development, financial leadership in kind of this new way. I'm actually um, reading a book right now called Purpose. And I'm reading it solely because I used to work for Microsoft and Satya Nadala called this book out from Colin Mayer as the single, the book, the single most important book he read last year. I hope I'm not misquoting him there, but it's all about um, the evolution of capitalism. And you, you were speaking earlier about kind of this idea of purpose and sustainability and care for the planet. And this whole book is about how that fits with capitalism. And I think that plays mm. into the concept of leadership. Leaders have to be able these days to adapt to these new concepts. What worked, as you just said, four years ago, five years ago, will not have the same value going forward. So changing the mindset, changing the conversation is really important. And I'm so inspired by, by the things I see. As much as we, you know, we've covered some topics on you know, discrimination and some of those heavier things, I, I am an optimist. I mean, I fundamentally believe that we're going to see some continued evolution in this space. And I love seeing what's happening with Gen Z leaders and millennial leaders. I have some incredible people on my team right now that you know, inspire me every day with, with what they're capable of in this space. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm inspired by listening to you. There are definitely things that you have just said that I want to pull out and like highlight as quotes. I just think the idea of bias toward action and bringing thoughtfulness, it's like, I feel that is what's important, right? Forward movement, thoughtfully bringing things you know, thinking about everybody, but but not being slowed down necessarily to not move forward. And I think that that is what 
our world needs. And you've also just made me think about so many different things with just, you know, the our, our evolution from agriculture to the Industrial Revolution and sort of what type of leaders we needed at those times and how because we're sort of moving into this information age and humanity and everything that it is going to require different types of leaders. And I do think that millennials and Gen Z, they are the ones to, you know, help push us in that direction. And I guess just maybe one final question that I have is for those of us like me, um, who are Gen X and maybe even, you know, baby boomers who grew up with a different set of principles around leadership that worked. And now we're seeing that, you know, those things don't work anymore. What advice would you give somebody who maybe, you know, Gen X or, or later to sort of open their eyes, look around <laughs> and maybe do something, learn something so that they can adopt these more modern, if you will, leadership principles? It's great. It's a great question. And I kind of take it full circle to where we started. So I'm an experienced collector and I just think there's a lot to be learned through, through doing and through experience. And I really encourage the people in, in like the demographics you just discussed to stay very contemporary open your social circle, get out and spend time doing things with younger generations because mm. the point of view is so different. And while you're out there doing things, and good example, I had the most incredible Gen Z hire uh, uh, just very recently. And she was so vocal and so passionate about sustainability. And she rallied a group of people in our business unit to go uh, clean up a park. This is pre-COVID. And she taught me so much about the point of view and of, of her group of friends and her point of view on coming into corporate America. And the entire time I was watching this young woman navigate all of these things and her passions and the way she would approach meetings, all of these things, I was constantly thinking, this is a challenge for me in how I lead and how am I going to get the very best for her out of this business unit, out of what we're doing um, as a team. What do skills do I now have to go get? Because she's challenging me and she's opening my mind in some very new ways. So I would encourage people of, of, of our generation and uh, Gen X and, 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 and everyone, stay curious, stay mm. flexible, and don't and open up the social circle, get out and think about all these people that, you're, that you will need to lead or that will be part of the future of all of these companies because they have so such an interesting point of view and they'll challenge you to think about your leadership skills. So those experiences, everybody I think could probably say you could go to training and there's lots of great books to read, but I'm a believer in just getting to know people and, and having them inspire you by who they are. Oh my gosh. I feel so honored that you took the time to speak with me today. I feel like I learned so much. I'm inspired to go out and learn from the youth um, and to improve my leadership skills as well. And I just, I, I feel honored that you are now part of my circle. Um, 
So thank you so much for just sharing so much of yourself and your opinions and perspectives. It's my passion is getting women's thoughts, ideas, and opinions out into the world in a, in a really public way, because I, I think that the media has too much attention on on one way. And so if we can sort of open that up and promote and advocate voices like yours, that's also going to help humanity, I believe. <laughs> Well, so thank you, <laughs> Adrian. It's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, the opportunity, first of all, I just have to go back the, the sugar coated. If ever there was a term that I was like, just, I just loved it. it this is just, it was a, such a privilege to have the opportunity to spend time with you. Um, I love your questions. I probably could sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. (laughs) Maybe when this all opens back up, we can go to one property and have a proper cup of tea and talk about lots and lots of things. Well, I that would be so great. I'm so inspired by the work you're doing, and I wish that more we had more and more opportunities to amplify voices. Um, from all ages and in all walks of life and all industries, because that's really the power. It's the power of the collective. And um, thank you for making that available and and giving all of us that opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'm not sure if you're open to people reaching out and connecting with you. Um, Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Always. So can they just go to LinkedIn? and and LinkedIn's probably easiest and best. Beautiful. Okay, so we'll include your LinkedIn profile in our show notes. And thank you so much for everything and keep doing the incredible work that you're doing. Thank you. Okay, take care. is the She Leads Podcast Network.